This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth. And my name is Maximus Hunter, and we got a great show coming up for you today. We're going to start off with Nick Baker. Our sports director has uh, an exclusive interview with some members of the CSU baseball team, and uh, they're going to be playing five games this weekend, I believe, and we're going to be following them around, so definitely that's something to look forward to. Yeah, and then we're going to go on to an interview with Adam Baird. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Adam Baird? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Adam has been working with a bunch of artists to make a collection of 100 covers, one cover of one song for every year for the last 100 years. And it's this massive undertaking, um, lots of cool music to talk about. So we're going to be doing that. And then we have a piece with Bonnie Amore, who spoke at Colorado State University last week. And do you want to talk about that one, Ren, since you met with her? Yeah, definitely. So Bonnie Amore is a genderqueer uh, travel writer who has kind of just gone all over the country uh, and just writes some really cool pieces. So she came here, or they came here, and they talked a little bit about uh, human zoos. So you can check out their piece, and you can check out all of the pieces that are going to be on today's show at kcsufm.com. As well as we have this cool new, uh, well, it's not new, but it's much easier to access live stream feature on our new website. So if you've ever been curious what it looks like in the studio here, you can go to kcsufm.com. There'll be a little video box that pops up right when you go there. And that's our live stream. We have the webcam uh, right next to Ren. And uh, you can just see what we're doing, even on our breaks when we're not doing anything. It's a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's kcsufm.com. And I wanted to pose a listener question to you guys. Uh, it's a lovely day out today if you uh like sun and warmth so how are you enjoying and taking advantage of this awesome day let us know at 970-491-5278 that is 970-491-KCSU yeah i would uh pose it to each other but i think we're stuck in the studio all day today unfortunately so we can't really i'm gonna walk my dog when i get home if it's still sunny out well i think we'll be out about six which is when the sun sets unfortunately so it should be nice and cool but you're missing out on that sun and warmth that's okay hopefully it sticks around and you'll find out when we ended up with weather we're gonna do national days with ren and i've got some local news but uh first i think nick baker yeah nick baker has a little bit to tell you And welcome back to KCSU's The Ramblers. I'm Nick Baker, joined by Anton. And not much. How about you? Uh, you know. Yeah, we're just <laughs> hanging out. Uh, we got some friends from the CSU club baseball team here in the studio. I'll throw it over to Daniel. You want to introduce everybody? Yeah, uh, I'm Daniel. I'm a senior pitcher. Uh, next to me is sophomore TJ Mendoza, second baseman pitcher. And then far left over here is going to be Adrian Juarez, and he plays outfield pitcher as well. Very nice, very nice. So you guys were ranked number eleven coming into the season. Um, it, season's already begun, of course. But what are what are your expectations for the season, just as a whole? Uh, especially like, like we're a big young team. Um, I think just getting these guys acclimated to Colorado State baseball and the ways that we we play baseball and win on the field and off the field. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely important there. Um, the season has been started for about a month or so. The home first home game is going to be this upcoming Friday. Um, what is what has happened for everyone who hasn't caught up with uh, the away games uh, so far? Yeah, uh, so we traveled down to Trinidad, Colorado, uh, two weeks ago. We played Trinidad State Junior College, a pretty good junior college down there, um, scholarship program there. Uh, we we lost all four games. I think the first two. 
were were good games. We competed with them. We lost in extra innings the first game, three to four. Uh, the second game we still competed, lost seven to two. And then the next day it just seemed like we played a different Trinidad team. Their bats came alive. Not a close game, but you know, overall, I think we we definitely improved and know what we need to work on for the season. Yeah, absolutely. And coming up for that game uh, against Williston State, what can you guys expect? Uh, what can the fans expect from you guys? Uh, I think we should. I think we can continue to grow as a team. Uh, like Daniel said, we played a really, really good Trinidad team, and uh, for that being our first game of the season, I I re- as a player, uh, second year player, I really enjoyed how we played. I thought we worked really hard, and I think you know coming out at Williston, we played them. Uh, we definitely won that series last year, and I expect uh, for us to do the same and to just uh, go forward as a team, keep working together, and uh, just improving. You know, we, we take these games early in the season that are out of conference to uh, get guys, like Daniel said, acclimated to playing on this team. And, uh, you know, going forward, like, I think we can grow a lot as a team going that uh, playing those games at home and, uh, yeah, just getting better, getting ready for conference play. Yeah, absolutely. Last year, you guys did very well and ended up going to that tournament. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't go your guys' way. What's the mindset like knowing that, that the tournament didn't go your way, but a lot of that team is still here? Yeah, I mean, obviously it sucks, especially with uh, the amount of seniors that we had, amount of work that we put in that year. Um, I think for the guys that played last year and are still here this year, it's it's just you know building off of that, getting these new guys like acclimated to – Colorado State baseball you know our, our winning tradition we, we lead the nation in national championships with six which is double uh than second place in the nation so I think just getting those guys you know knowing that we are legit and we are the program that we are yeah absolutely there's there's a lot of new faces uh so so uh people who listened in last year they're going to hear a lot of different names uh what's the roster kind of look like this year uh like Daniel said we got a lot of we had a lot of seniors graduate last year. I think it was 10 or 11 guys. So uh, we're looking back, we're, we're a brand new team this year. We got a, a lot of freshmen and sophomores uh, that are either returning or new to the program. And, yeah, just kind of a lot of turnover. We're, we're definitely a younger team than we were last year. Last year we were uh, led by guys that had been around three, four years. But now uh, we're majority guys uh, that are in, either in their first or second season playing for, for the team. So – uh, definitely a lot of new faces, but uh, a lot of talent too. A lot of new talent, uh, like TJ right next to us, uh, is he's in his first season and he's already showing that you know he's about it and he's ready to go forward and you know lead the new guys. Yeah, absolutely. TJ, uh, this is your first year with the team. What made you choose CSU specifically? Um, it was just kind of like close to home, and I just Adrian. I played against him in high school, and he came here and just told me that it was a good program so i just decided hey might as well try it see how i like it and yeah. i'm loving it so far so yeah absolutely as a newcomer on the team what's what's it kind of like uh the experience um it's a lot of fun i mean it's a little more serious than high school baseball which i like there's a lot of guys you get to know and just have fun with yeah, that, that fun. Uh, you could definitely see it last year. You guys were a team that liked to have fun. Uh, you could see it, uh, especially in rivalry games. The, the bench would get loud. The, the dugout would get, get kind of wild and, and crazy. What does that mean to your guys' team, the energy you guys can bring? I definitely think it, it changes how we can play a game. Um, it also you know, tells teams that, hey, we're, we're here to have fun, but we also take this game seriously, and you know, we like to win. Winning's fun. 
winning is definitely fun. Uh, so that, like I said, entering the season at number eleven, what are your expectations come May? Uh, where do you think this team's going to be standing? I think we have the potential and the talent to uh, go further than we did last year. I think we have the ability uh, with with the pitching depth, with the hitting ability that we now possess. I think we can go and win our region, which is which is I think our main goal. Uh, it's been a while since our team has been back to the national tournament, and that's because we we haven't been able to get through that uh, that regional section. But uh, I I truly believe I know all the guys that are. I'm suiting up with every weekend, every game. Uh, they believe it too, and we can go and go and win that regional tournament and get back to nationals. And you know, and in that in that situation, uh, the eight best teams in the country are playing each other, and anything can happen at that time. So, you know, we get through that weekend set uh, in Nebraska for regionals, and uh, anything can happen at that national tournament. So, for me at least, uh, that that goal for this season is going to be that regional championship. Well, it's good to hear that you guys have, you know, already that experience in the tournaments and, you know, kind of the postseason games that you can really, really lead these um, kind of younger guys for sure. Yeah, like you said, a lot of seniors leaving the team. What have you guys kind of taken away? Because there's a lot of, a lot of experience there, a lot of leadership and a lot of uh, uh, trips to the postseason. What, what have they imparted on you guys? What have you taken away from them? Uh, those guys really just left a great example of what being a team looked like. Uh, our senior leader last year, Brandon DeLay, uh, who had an All-American season, uh, just awesome guy who really led us from the front, uh, lead-by-example type of guy. And I think, you know, uh, Daniel and I are trying to embody that same mentality of that leadership, just, you know, make sure we're working hardest at practice so everyone follows behind us. Uh and you know those guys. Those guys had been to a national tournament. They'd been to. They'd won the region. Uh, they'd all done that before. So uh, just having that experience and just like talking to them, like TJ said, you spend a lot of time with these guys. So you learn about you know their baseball life, what they've done, and you know I I now know like what it takes to get through the regional just just through their like experience when when they did it a couple years ago. So uh, you know we definitely miss them on the field, miss them in the dugout. Great guys, but you know they they did an awesome job of just setting us up for success and uh, just you know speaking through their uh, experiences that they had. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of pretty great home series for you guys um, here in Fort Collins, and we'll be covering all of them at, on KCSU. So for anyone listening, what are some of those series that you guys have kind of targeted as, as ones you're really looking forward to? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, our, we, we started off conference against CU, which has been a lot different. Uh, this is my third year. Mm. Uh, usually they're the last series that we play in the year. Um, so we're, we're definitely excited to just get that series out of the way early and, and just let the conference know that, you know, we mean business. Um, I know Colorado has a, has a great team this year as well, so it's, that's probably going to be the most exciting series of the year. Yeah, absolutely. The, the rivalry games are, are definitely huge. Are there any other rivalry games you're looking for? Yeah, uh, so we host Mesa later in the season. Um, they're always kind of like a wild card game. They'll take a few here and there, so um, there's, they're always exciting to play as well. Um, I know that we also host Williston State here uh, next weekend. Um, they're a pretty good JUCO as well from North Dakota. Um, looking forward just to get on our field and, and face some more um, junior college talent, you know, at the homestand. Yeah, absolutely. Williston State, five-game series. Um, a lot of people aren't really familiar with series more than four games, especially uh, five games in three days. What's What's the mindset like? What's the workload like for you guys going into something like that? Uh, that series definitely, you know, that five games seems kind of daunting. Uh, we got we 
And if you look further in the schedule, we play uh, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, those five games. Then we play on that Wednesday. And then we have the CU series on that the following Friday and Saturday. So we got a lot of a lot of games in the, what, seven-day, nine-day span. So, uh, you know, that'll require a lot of focus from the guys and just making sure we're staying healthy. Uh, uh, with, pit, with pitching depth, you know, we're going to have to have guys pitch uh, multiple times in a week, which is going to be – which is going to be a stress, but uh, with our series this weekend with Colby and then Wilson, like we'll just keep, uh, you know, building, building up, uh, getting stronger arms, you know, because we're still, we're still in February. It's still, you know, it's cold outside. We're not being able to get those games, but uh, that'll be a huge test for our mental strength and just like cohesion as a team with all those games uh, being thrown at us. For sure, uh, like you said pitch count you've mentioned pit, pitch depth do any of your pitchers have a pitch count or is it going just on arm fatigue and um you know their confidence in themselves and, and whatnot alone uh i definitely think that we go case by case okay. um some of the some of the guys have been thrown all throughout the offseason some guys not as much um that's a personal preference or a health preference um so some guys can can throw a full game um i personally threw a full game uh last weekend um but some of the guys are kind of just sitting around 45 40 50 um pitches and then this week we'll hopefully get them up to around 50 70 pitches um you know something to know is like we we don't get to play spring training like the MLB we don't get to you know play one inning this day and then two the next um it's just kind of hey here's the season go at it yeah what's that like for you guys not having a bit of a gentle ramp into the season just all of a sudden going hard on a road trip no no practice beforehand really I think like Adrian said it's it's a little daunting but, um, you know, the way the coaches handle everything and, you know, how we, we handle our, our bodies off the field, I think we do a pretty good job of, you know, gently getting into the season so that, you know, when we play CU, we're all ready to play full games. Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth. My name is Maximus Hunter, and we just heard Nick Baker talking to the CSU baseball team, and they have five games coming up this weekend, I believe. So if you want to learn more about that, tune in then, or check them out on kcsufm.com. And uh, we're about to get into our interview with special guest Adam Baird from the 100 Covers Project, but first, we just wanted to pose that question to you one more time, and that question was, uh, today is awesome. How are you taking advantage of this beautiful, lovely day? You can text in your answers 970-491-KCSU or that's 970-491-5278. 
Alrighty, but let's get right into that interview. So, Adam, do you want to tell us a little bit about your project? I do. Uh, first, I'd like to tell you what, what I'm going to do with the beautiful day, which is oh, yeah? right when we're finished with this interview, I, I think I'm going to go outside and find a nice bench and, and, and play some guitar, because that's what college campuses are built for. Dude, I wish I could join you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, I'll do it for you some other time. But, uh, yeah, we'll jam. We'll yeah, jam. It, it'll be great, right? Yeah. Uh, we're, jam we're jamming now, and so so thank you for being here with me and having me in the studio. Yeah, uh, this is very exciting. The, the reason we're talking today is because of uh, a tiny little project called the Century of Covers, which is about as big as it sounds. The, the concept is very simple, uh, which is just one cover song per year from now, leading all the way back to 1923. So uh, it's concise to say, and it's a huge undertaking to actually record. That's about 10 albums worth of music. So yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be very exciting, uh, very interesting, and, and a lot of work. But we've all got to do work, so you might as well at least enjoy what you do, right? Definitely. So what inspired you to undertake this kind of an ambitious project? Well, uh, that probably started when my grandma decided that it was time for piano lessons. That was uh, <laughs> a couple years back, and she, uh, she, she got a hold of an upright piano, and she said, Hey, Adam, I, I want you to hang out and, and, and teach me how to play some of these old jazz standards, some of the stuff from the American Songbook. I said, okay, well, that sounds great. Good excuse to hang out with my grandma, play some piano. I, yeah. You know, that sounds fun. So uh, we did that for a while, and, and during that process, I got to really discover all this really cool music, all of these, these beautiful old songs that have so much history and so much uh, tradition to them that I, I don't think I ever would have, uh, I would have gotten to spend so much intimate time with. And that, that really kind of blew things open for me. Uh, compare that to my real interest in, in old flamenco music and classical music, but also in, you know, pop style stuff. I grew up on Bare Naked Ladies and Ben Folds, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. So what would you do if you had a million dollars? Oh man, I, well, I'd probably, I'd probably record a hundred songs, uh, you know, chronicling uh, the history of recorded music. I think that's how I'd, I'd use it. I'd buy a nice Chesterfield or an Ottoman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <Stop>. quality. <laughs> I really hope my dad's listening in to only this part of the oh, interview. Absolutely. Well, and the funny thing about that song is like, you know, a million dollars is still a lot. But it's not nearly as it's, much as when they made it. It's that. really not. <laughs> the, uh, they have this excellent um, bathroom sessions version of that song that they, they, they do on YouTube, and uh, they just they sing the very first part, you know, if I had a million dollars. I would and they buy both, you. <laughs> but they don't even get that far. They both just smile at the camera and just, and that's the end of the video because they have a million dollars now. <laughs> oh, man. I just, uh, I just, I <laughs> love I'm so glad it's they got funny. it. Yeah, you know, man, like they got their million dollars. That's all they had to do was write a song about how they wanted it. So. I hope they they eat craft dinners. I I think they, they do. Still eat craft dinners, but it's just so many craft dinners. So right? many craft you know, dinners. Dijon ketchup. <laughs> all right, yeah, that's so, been way too long. Thank you, Ren. As much as I love talking about bare naked ladies um, on the radio, <laughs> the band, the band, the band. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about the other songs that you are picking and mm -hmm. how you pick those songs that are going to be covered. Oh yeah. Well, that was that was a whole process. So so my my brother is a a vast amazing lexicon of music. I don't know how I don't know how he understands. He's just this musical encyclopedia of of things you'd never find on your own but he's so good at at bringing them to you and saying hey you'll love this uh, he put together this playlist for me that was a hundred songs that was specifically made for me and and i mean by the 20 minutes into it i was just crying you know i was just i would because he just reached into my brain and said hey this is this is what you need and that was that was so cool to get to experience that um and so he's 
he sat down with me and we uh, we spent probably 40 to 50 hours putting together the playlist um, the the collection of songs um, that research phase was was a lot it took some took some time took some energy can you give us any titles I can I there, we've we've previewed 10% of it the rest of it is a mystery but um, okay. I, I can give you one from each decade from okay. from the 1920s we have uh, yes we have no bananas uh, which is total banger it's like the original banger uh, <laughs> we have the 1930s is Chet Baker's my funny Valentine we want to do that with a lo-fi hip-hop twist uh, oh I, think of, I know right interesting um, from the 40s we have uh, Malaguena Celerosa which is a traditional Mexican ballad uh, we'll be doing that in a, in a a very classical kind of style, really, really true to how it's uh, usually interpreted. The 1950s will be Ray Charles's "Mess Around," um, which I mean, if you've seen Plane, Trains, and Automobiles, you know, or it, ever ridden on a United Airlines flight. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> That's right. That's their song, yeah. Uh, and the 1960s is the Pink Panther. We'll be doing a fingerstyle funk version of that. It'll Ooh. Be fun. I know, right? Kind of groovy. Uh, then we'll be doing "Live and Let Die," uh, okay. classic McCartney. Yeah. Uh, you got to do that. A bluegrass cover of "Ace of Spades" um, for any By Motorhead. Motor or, yeah, or guitar that hero fans. Is, you know. uh, that's that's an interesting idea. Uh, it's gonna Bluegrass. go. It's gonna go, man. I tell you. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, let's see. Uh, from the '90s, uh, we have the Jurassic Park theme by John Williams. Oh, classic! I know. I, I played that for a wedding for my my drummer, and and we uh, he want that was what his wife wanted, and it, it totally fits. We have this acoustic guitar and an upright bass arrangement of it. It's Very just, romantic. So this is like it's the wedding super version. Super romantic, of exactly that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so so that was yeah you know, where that came from. That's Dinosaurs a... and weddings. What more could you want? Uh, and to then. Be... Uh, Married to a dinosaur. No, honestly, that's too far. <laughs> Dinosaurs know. and weddings together, perfect. Find I know, the right, right girl and you will. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so then the uh, in the 2000s, we're doing a flamenco cover of Britney Spears' Toxic. Oh. Uh, uh, why am I, like, I was thinking what song you guys would pick for the 2000s. I was mm -hmm. like, it's going to be like Britney Spears oh, or yeah. like... Oh like, yeah, like Rihanna. Oh yeah, so that power pop. I mean, that came out. Yeah. Hard. It's like power pop and boy bands for that whole decade. And yeah. there is some really awesome music in there. You guys, are, uh, this is just out of my own personal curiosity. You guys sure. doing any like uh, kind of like two thousands the alt rock like all American rejects? Or I can like almost that? guarantee that, but I can't yes. tell you for sure. But I'll I'll, I'll wink so at that's you. My for those of you listening, music. I'm winking. Uh, and then uh, obviously this is this one's kind of a no brainer for the two thousand tens, which would be the the final decade. We'll be doing a classical piano concerto of Little John's Turn Down for What? Oh, see, I, I would have thought you were about to say Gangnam Style. Like, we're going to do a really deconstructed well, you know, classical piano you know, Gangnam I, Style. You'll just, you'll just have to see what I will have out. to see. You've yeah. definitely piqued my interest here. Um, <laughs> so could you walk us through the process of actually making the covers? Are you mm -hmm. doing them, you know, in separate studio sessions? Are you doing them with different bands? How, sure. are, you, how are you going about this? Well, that's that's what's so exciting about a project that's this big. You know, if you're, if you're just recording one album, usually you'd, you'd have five other musicians or something like that that you'd go to that would be your studio dependents that, mm -hmm. that you would bang this thing out with. But because it's such a huge project, we get to do whatever makes sense for each song. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a, a chamber group in Boulder that we'll be bringing in when we're doing something a little more symphonic. Uh, I have a lot of guitar friends, for sure, who are going to be jumping on and doing some uh, some much more unexpected takes on a lot of things. And then we get to bring in, hey, here's this beautiful, soulful singer. Let's let's get them in. Let's get this awesome, funky bassist in there. Let's let's do a little opera or get a barbershop quartet in. Uh, and that that's what's fun about making it on this scale is you get to say well what's going to be really interesting uh, as you listen through all of this stuff how do we keep throwing in stuff that keeps it new and exciting and and a little different each time all right so i'm not a, a musician max is a musician um so i am a little bit interested you talked a little bit about your piano history but what sure. other kinds of musical backgrounds 
do you have? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I did. I started playing piano when I was a kid, so so I, I keep learning this lesson that that um, that mom is always right. You know, I, when it was annoying back then, and now I'm really really thankful that you know when I was four, I think she she had me start taking lessons, and the rule was I could I could switch to whatever whatever instrument I wanted once I could uh, read sheet music. So uh, I got good enough at that to be able to switch to guitar, and then promptly forgot how to read sheet music for a while. I was gonna say you started guitar yeah. on sheet music. That's pretty unusual. <laughs> Well, and I took classical guitar lessons for a few years, so oh, yeah. it was, you know, uh, it was still all kind of a part of it, which was nice. And then I switched to electric guitar in high school because that's what cool kids did. And I promptly figured out that I wasn't that cool and switched back to acoustic guitar. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, started playing steel string, started playing fingerstyle, and uh, then moved to college. I, I was in an acapella group there. I've uh, since explored, um, I've explored beatboxing, I've explored drumming, uh, I've, I've made a few electronic tracks because that's really fun. And my, my latest thing that I'm trying to develop is my my freestyle game now that that's oh. that's been my 2020 talk to kind me after the show yeah exactly <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll do that we'll later that'll be that. fun um i'm so i'm curious um you, yeah so you you're working with a lot of people mm -hmm. um you you have some huge ambitions yeah. i mean clearly some huge ambitions what will it take to get it done? What kind of resources do you need? Yeah, well, it's 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 going to take uh, it's going to take time and money, and that's what we've been trying to put aside. That's what we've been trying to pay attention to. Is you know how do we get people interested in this? How do people help support it? And uh, how can we get you know businesses sponsorships involved in this kind of thing? Because it's a it's a cool cultural project. So uh, looking at uh, how to kind of kind of immortalize that best has been an exciting exciting thing. Uh, so we've we've been looking at lots of ways of, of funding that and making that. happen. Happen. And then it's going to take roughly two years, which wow. um, seems like a lot of time until you realize that, well, it's, it's 10 albums. Usually an album would, you know, one album would take, take about two years, years right? Just to be pretty easily. Five mm -hmm. between Not that we should measure success or anything on how long <laughs> but, it takes Justin Bieber to make his albums. But, but it's, it's very true, right? So, uh, so that, it's, a, it's a real compressed timeline, but what we've been saying as well, it's, at least the material's already written. That's hey, there you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. So you started in 1923? That's right. So are you estimating to end about 2023? That's that's about right. It's actually um it's it's going to be launching uh January 1st, 2022. Uh, and this was the weird thing about it, math is because then you have to keep the, you have to count the zero so oh, right yeah. so it's yeah. it, you know it looks like 99 years but that's oh. actually 100 years. Yeah. So and that and that took us a minute. We actually we were going from 1922 to to um 2022 and then we realized Wait, hold on. The Mayans were smart when they realized zero was a thing. I'm so. gl glad you zero guys did your math. Number. Besides, drummers, musicians don't sound very <laughs> exactly. Good well, we barely caught it, but we did. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how that works out. All right. So, how do you expect people will discover mm -hmm. your project? Well, that's that's what's really cool about this, especially in the age of, of Spotify and streaming and, and playlisting. You know, that's that's really how people are coming around to music now. So, if we get this all put together and put it out into the world, each of these different songs in a different genre and a different kind of feeling uh, will be put in different playlists and different people's, uh, you know, registers and, and, and ideas and different groups of people are going to latch on to, wow, this is really cool or, oh, that's an interesting take. But the cool thing is that all points back to the entire project. So as each of these songs kind of goes out in the world and says, hey, look at me, I'm cool. You say, oh, that is cool. And then you get to follow that trail back to, whoa, hey, this is a this is a 
just a small part of something that's that's much much bigger so it's kind of fun it's like you know send, sending your kids off to school and be like all right you know like go out there go go do well <laughs> i i hope i hope i gave you everything you needed well, yeah. that's super fun when i uh it kind of makes me think have you ever listened to like uh the pop, punk goes albums where they have a bunch of like punk bands no to, cover, oh, oh uh, yes punk goes acoustic yeah punk or goes, like yeah, punk goes yeah. 80s yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the concept from those because they'll take, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, some like David Bowie song from yep. 50 years ago and make it like death metal or <laughs> yeah. something like that. And I always love the remix aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was actually going to yeah. touch on that next, too. Um, it seems like a kind of popular concept that's going around right now is this genre bending with like. Oh, yeah. I don't want to say they're big artists just because I listen to them. Sure. Like Scary Pockets and Pomplamoose are really big mm-hmm. at doing yeah, covers no that are. <laughs> oh, you got to you got to check out some Pomplamoose if you haven't. Oh, they, they do great work in, yeah. the, in this kind of thing. But do you think this is going to become kind of a trend that a lot of people are genre bending covers? Well, absolutely. I think it's been a trend for a while, probably at least the last five years or so. Uh, you know, the internet's made that really, uh, really accessible. I mean, that's kind of the nice thing and the. Uh, the sad thing about the internet is that we we like the things we like, and so we want to find uh, new versions of the same things we already know. So uh, that's been it's been kind of fun to take a look at, and that that's why we want to do this particular project is is because it's going to include all genres, all kinds of songs, right? You see these compilation albums that focus on on one or another, digging into that feeling. And and, uh, we think that doing it chronologically and treating it not only as a, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, but also as a, a record of recorded music up to this point that that's very exciting to us so yeah genre bending it's really 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 fun as a musician i just i can't i can't stress that enough so we got to wrap this up pretty quickly but we do have a couple of questions left um speed round yeah so uh what kind of uh effect do you intend to create for the listener what would you like them to take away from this it's going to be a journey it's going to be a musical journey and you're gonna you're gonna be surprised at every turn and you're gonna say wow i didn't even know about that but somewhere i did Right on. Okay. So how can people find it, and how can you reach people with this music? Sure. Well, it's called The Century of Covers, so it's pretty uh, pretty Googleable, which is helpful. It's hard to say. Uh, or you can go to adambaird.com slash century to learn more all about it. And could you uh, spell that real quick? Yes, because my last name is very confusing, isn't it? Uh, it's uh, A-D-A-M-B-A-E-R-D dot com slash century. All right. Well, thank you very much, Adam. Oh, of course. Uh, thank uh, you. I'm, I can't wait to see what comes out of this. It's <laughs> you, very, you and me both. Sounds very <laughs> fun. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but then we're going to come back with some uh, awesome interview material from Red. Sorry, yeah, that was I like can. a <laughs> it's okay. very yeah, fragmented Yeah, so setup. we're going to uh, have my pre-interview piece with Bonnie O'Moore, who, again, is that genderqueer artist who is or not artist, genderqueer uh, travel writer who came to CSU earlier this week, or I believe, yeah, earlier this week on Wednesday. Um, so we're going to do that, and then Max has a little bit of local news for us written by our own very own Brittany Leesky, and then we have some National Day news, and we'll wrap it up with the weather. So you're going to want to stay tuned for all that. If you missed our interview with Adam Baird uh, with the Century of Covers, you can go ahead and check that out at kcsufm.com. We got a lot of fun stuff on that new website. You can check out our live stream. You can also see any of our old episodes there. Also, we still want to know what are you doing with your awesome, lovely, sunny day today? You can text in your answer to 970 491 5278. That is 970 491 5278. You are listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU. We'll be right back. 
And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your host, Ren Wadsworth, and we just heard from Adam Beard about the century of covers. So go ahead and check that out on our website at kcsufm.com. But we are going to go right into my pre- uh, interview with Bonnie Amore, and I'm just going to read a little bit about their presentation that they did on Wednesday here at CSU and the LSC. So it says, Bonnie Amore is a gender queer travel writer who explores the relationship between race, place, and power. Their work has appeared in CNN Travel, Fedor's AFAR, and Teen Vogue, among other out- outlets. They also have work with Anthology Outside the XY, Queer Black and Brown Masculinity, and in the upcoming Where We Stand, Black and Brown People Speak the Earth. Benny is a four-time Vona slash Voices fellow, and you can follow them on Twitter at Benny Amore and on Instagram at Benny Amore, and that's B-A-N-A-M-O-R. I don't believe um, I got them to spell their name in the interview, but we're going to roll right into that piece. My name is Bonnie Amor, and I'm a travel writer. So tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, how you came to be a travel writer. I was always writing, and I was almost always traveling. You know, of course, I come from a background of immigration, and I think that really influences the way that I think about place and travel. Having a mix of places form who I am and how I understand the world. I did kind of like travel back and forth from New York to Florida, just like a little bit of transience with the family. And it's just those small things that I knew from a young age that I loved going anywhere that wasn't just anywhere new. I'm a very like simple person and I'm very just fascinated with just being anywhere else. I'm also fascinated with being at home. I love my neighborhood and all these things, even though I have a love-hate relationship with New York. When I was like 15, I dropped out of high school and I began traveling. I was just like hitchhiking and train hopping and I was like homeless on and off. So I was always writing about that. Like I always journaled like from when I was much younger. And yeah, it wasn't about any other goal. You know, it was just my travels and things that had happened and constantly doing that. When I was around 21, that's when I went to Ecuador for the first time where my family's from. And I remember, you know, having this whole trip in Latin America, coming back home to New York, not being able to find any employment and eventually being like, I should, I like to write, I like to travel, you know, be in in charge of my own schedule and all these things and be transient. I'm not tied to a place, so I should write travel. And, you know, I was reading travel writing a little bit, but more so I was like, all right, now we're getting into this, you know, travel writing workshops. Even just like being a high school dropout, not going to college, I just was like, how do I write a story? Like, what's the basics of grammar? So just being a student in that way, I guess those first few years really kind of shaped what kind of writer I wanted to be. You have to just go through things you don't really like and like check out spaces and the fact that there really wasn't a space for me and then having to kind of just make that own path. That's how I came to writing about it and then eventually being like, this can be a career. So on your Instagram, you use the term decolonized travel a lot and use it as a hashtag and you actually have been called a decolonial travel writer. So what do both of those things mean? To me, for me as a writer, it's writing about travel and place Uh, with really the goal of decolonization, of understanding this movement and the fact that we can't have these discussions, we can't move about the world without, you know, understanding the reality of the limitations of borders and the fact, the history that has moved people around in the world and how that has shaped everything. How much the transatlantic slave trade has shaped so much of our world. Um, and of course, you know, genocide and, and the annexing, you know, moving native people to certain places. And that really shapes how we experience nature and backpacking and adventure and 
our relationship to land is very colonized. Um, it's nature is something pretty to look at. And it's kind of this British pastoral thing where we want it's ornamental rather than this relationship that we have and dependency that we have with the earth. So it's going very back to like basic ways of thinking about what land we're on. What does my ancestry have to do with the way that I navigate place now? And then, of course, all those identities, being queer, being disabled, and, you know, under the trans umbrella, and my light skin privilege, all these things are constantly moving and shifting, and I'm thinking about it as I move because I really can't not do that. I also come from, like, a social justice background. I wasn't involved in activism when I was younger, so the ways that I was looking at this was very much like, you know, I was experiencing a lot of discomfort of reading people kind of talk about people like me but like talking over me, like I just wasn't a part of that conversation. And being, being spoken of as an other was just interesting. And then of course, going into how I also hold that power and stuff. But back to decolonizing, of course, that movement is about sovereignty of land, of a community having self-determination and not being tied down by capitalism and other forces. Um, every nation, state, healthy, settler state fulfilling has the power in a way um, uh, that's also revolutionary and that can also heal um, things and bring people together uh, without dismantling those systems and those communities having self-determination to, you know, de de determining how tourism works in their lands, how their cultures are written about and who gets to who gets to have the voice about of place okay so on a personal level what does travel writing mean to you um like what is my travel writing like like um i guess more how has it like affected you as a person like getting to do this job that you love how it's affected me um um, what is it like to just be a travel writer? Like, sure, we could talk about that. <laughs> um, okay, let me see. Um, you could you could take a second. It's kind what of is, like I'll go with what does it mean to me? Okay. Um, so my my definition of travel is very expansive, and it's about kind of reclaiming space. Of if we're going to talk about travel, let's talk about travel. If you want to talk about vacations. That's kind of one thing, that's leisure travel, if you want to talk about adventure, um, studying abroad, all these things. Of course, they're all in the same space, but the way that we conceive of travel and travel culture is just leisure. The reality is when I read travel writing and we look at this stuff, it's very much about a lot of memoir. It's a lot of reflecting, going, ending a trip, and then going back and being like, just uh, processing and reflecting on what happened and how you've changed at the end of your journey. That's really a big theme in travel writing. How does that not apply to like immigration stories or like roots journeys, you know, people who return to like West Africa and it's who are we when we don't know where we're from? So I really define travel as all these things. I like I, in order for me to really hear what I wanted to hear and relate to certain things, I had to go outside of the travel section of bookstores and go to poetry and go to novels and get what I needed out of that because those were also journeys where people were reflecting on how how things shift and move as we move in our identities and questioning it and how we all you know work together. I feel like travel writing, which I've said, is like cheating where I get to talk about everything. You can talk about food, you can talk about gender, you can talk about fun, adventure, you can talk about 
genocide. Like you can talk about all these things in travel. It's just moving. It's just power in motion. So that's where I come to that. That's how I think of, of travel writing and wanting to kind of take up more space for a lot more diverse experiences of travel. So in your piece, Getting Real About Decolonizing Travel Culture, you wrote about how we must, quote, constantly question how our presence affects the space we move through. And I was just wondering how you saw this in your travels. I think a part of being, I think, queer is like a little bit on edge of just like, how am I being seen and how am I being read? Especially if you're like gender weird, you know, it's like, how, did, how is gender like traditionally seen in this place? And how, what level of danger am I in? What level of comfort should I, you know, feel? Or how is that impacted by my race, my size? You know, it's, it's looking at yourself, how other people look at you. And that is not always a healthy thing. But then when it comes to other things with race and colorism and language and passport, growing up in the United States, very much aware of my socioeconomic situation and my background and immigration and the gender, just my oppression when it comes to all these things. But when, you know, going abroad and going home for the first time to Ecuador, it was just like, um, I had the experience of being in the, major in the majority and being privileged in this more greater perspective, you know, where I wouldn't say I was poor because I was just like, you know, global north poor or whatever, western poor, you know, and having all that perspective. I know a lot of people deal with that where you have that perspective. For me, it was just kind of balancing the privilege with the oppression and how it all mixed together. Like, yes, I have money. Yes, I might be put in like those gay conversion camps, you know, I might be able to escape it more than someone else would. It's just all these things. Um, yeah, or being, you know, of course, the way that people see U.S. Americans as being white or being richer and just like not qualifying and then at certain times you do qualify and you're not Ecuadorian enough. Um, so these are things I definitely encountered much more when I was traveling. I mean I traveled throughout my youth what I had access to which was the United States and Canada and overland slow travel you know I didn't have much money or anything like that. So that's kind of where I was coming from of just like rambling around encountering what it's like to be about around so many white people or, or what it's like to be like in a redder state. So it's it's just being kind of politically aware and self-aware wherever you are. To go a little deeper into that, how have you seen your personal identity affect your relationship to the world around you? I mean, in every way. What are your biggest tips to becoming a travel writer? Biggest tips for becoming a travel writer? I'm like, if you Google this, it's all gonna be so basic. I mean, there's being a writer, there's the basics of like, read a lot, write a lot. When it comes to traveling, I think everyone should take a lot of notes. I think notes are very important and we think we're gonna remember things that we don't. And again, having those little situations with travel writing and travel media, so much of travel writing and travel media, the way that we conceive of it, is supposed to be very positive and very like, this is what I saw and the point of travel writing is to make other people feel like they're there and that they wanna go too. And that doesn't need to be that way. So sometimes we have uncomfortable situations or we see things that we don't feel are as important to write down because we're not going to get that published. We're going to, you know, write about, I guess, this hike or that meal in Italy. I don't know. Instead of just like some small and comfortable things that really tell a story. And I think that's what travel writing is really starved for unique stories that are not just escapist kind of like having fun abroad and having your your mind like your horizons broaden and, and all these things I think there must self-awareness is very important if we're going to do travel memoir specifically I would say because I'm coming from a different place is just like 
be a little, you have to be socially aware. You're going in the world, like most of the world is women of color. That's the most populations working women of color. So you have to have some sort of understanding of race and of your class privilege is going to be the biggest thing I think people encounter in a lot of places in the world. Or a lot of tours before, you know, they go on a trip, it's, you're so excited or you go somewhere and then you're like, tours suck. Like all, you know, you see pictures of Machu Picchu or, or you know, the Tower of Pizza or whatever and going there and everyone else is there and you're like, this sucks, you know, the over tourism is like, I can't enjoy a thing because this is just a trap. I think we had to be a little prepared to understand those differences. Uh, my friend, um, Dr. Anu Taranath, she just wrote this book, Beyond Guild Trips, Mindful Travel in an Unequal World. And that is really kind of preparing people to, you don't have to be an activist or other anything else, but if you really want to understand how you're traveling and feel comfortable with discomfort, which you will encounter, then you we have to think about these things beforehand. So I would say that so other things that are very basic to finish off is self-discipline, maintaining good you know, uh, relationships with your editors, not being scared of being rejected. Also, especially for people of color and like you know, other marginalized people, don't feel like you have to be limited to travel outlets. You know, write for other places and just bring your experiences of travel into it. Tying it into CSU and kind of what you're going to be doing over the next week, what are you going to be talking about tomorrow? Tomorrow is a presentation on human zoos and, and the relationship to slum tours of today. So, you know, human zoos, for people who might not know, were these exhibitions, tours, um, circuses, where people were put on display, Native and Black people, mostly for people to kind of anthropologically, scientifically, entertainingly stare at them, study the other. It's this idea that these people are primitive and we're seeing their natural way of life, and that reinforces that, you know, we have racial superiority or anything. I, I mean, we as, you know, this is how it was in that time. And that kind of study of the other is very prevalent. It hasn't changed much in travel media. I think it's very much preserved, that gaze. And that relates very much to this industry of slum tours, ghetto tours, gang tours, hood tours. This, these kind of tours where people are bussed in, very privileged people are bussed in to see people in their habitats and their ways of life and it's voyeuristic, it's creepy, and I wanted to kind of tie that all together, so I'm gonna be talking about that tomorrow. Just talking a little bit about what you're planning on doing next, what TravelCon is, what are some big plans you have for the upcoming year? I'm such a transient person, like I don't know where I'm gonna be ever. Um, I'm going to do like two panels at TravelCon with this year. It's a very kind of businessy thing, but I am often on queer travel panels, queer travel writing panels. So that's in New Orleans in May. Next month I'll be at the Society of American Travel Writers Conference in Toronto. So I would love to do an event with other, you know, writers, do some sort of reading, maximize my time there. But I'll be on a panel on diversity and travel writing. Those are the next two kind of trips that I have set up. And basically, this is the first year where I'm not going to be in Ecuador this time of year and I'm just gonna move out of my place in New York. Where can people see your work and learn more about you? I would say my website but it's closed right now for repairs. <laughs> it's so outdated. You could go to Instagram and look at my posts and that'll take you where you need to go. The best thing is Google. Google decolonizing travel and a bunch of my essays will come up. I write for CNN Travel, Yes Magazine. I'm also AWOL from Twitter for so long and uh, yeah that's it. Alrighty, and that was my interview with Bonnie Amore. Again, if you want to get more information about them, uh, 
you can follow all of their social media that they listed above. And again, I feel like I uh, misspelled it earlier, but that is going to be B-A-N-I-A-M-O-R. And that's going to be both on Twitter and Instagram, as well as I believe there's a website as well. But regardless of that, if you missed that interview, you can go ahead and check it out at kcsufm.com. Or if you missed our interview with Adam Baird about the century of covers, that's also going to be up at kcsufm.com. But... We're going to move on to a little bit of news with Max. Yes. Hello. My name is Max with Hunter, and this is your campus news. This was written by the Rocky Mountain Review's own Brittany Liskey. During the first week of January, Dr. Chris Orton, a, car- a veterinary cardiothoracic surgeon, traveled to China with the team to meet with leaders from the Shanghai Han Yu Medical Technology Company. The CSU team planned to learn more about a new device to treat dogs with mitral regurgitation, which is a common condition in older dogs causing a leak of the valve between the left ventricle which, uh, and the left atrium of the heart. The CSU team was asked to perform a procedure using a new device on a 7-year-old miniature schnauzer who was in an advanced stage of heart failure and had perhaps a few months to live. Dr. Orton said this was the first successful beating heart mitral valve repair in a dog with severe mitral regurgitation. This was a huge medical breakthrough in the veterinary world, and veterinarians at CSU have worked for nearly 10 years to find new ways to treat this very common condition. Eight of our very own CSU students are a part of the Putska Scholars Program and have been working to ensure academic success for students with disabilities, helping students of color discover the power of the arts and raising on-campus awareness of incidences involving bias. It is a scholarship program supported by the Putska Puxta, sorry, Puxta Foundation that empowers Colorado State students to become catalysts for positive change in the community. These eight students were selected their first year at CSU to spend the remainder of their college career working on their own Puxta Civic Engagement Project, which they designed to address a major social issue. According to the Puxta Foundation, scholars have contributed more than 6,000 500 hours in 2019 alone to projects that promote social change. The CSU students involved in the program are Fernanda Alacron, Leo Andrade, Dom Baca, Deborah Langakawa, Jada Johnson, Dominica A. Manlove, Dulce Almedo, and Sabrina Pribble. Congratulations to these Rams for working towards social change and making a difference. The Colorado General Assembly has confirmed two longtime state leaders, both of which are CSU alumni, to the Board of Governors for the Colorado State University System. The Board of Governors is the governing body of the CSU system, which encompasses CSU in Fort Collins, CSU Pueblo, and CSU Global. There are 15 members on the board, nine of whom are voting members appointed by the governor to serve four-year terms. These two individuals now joining the Board of Governors are former Senator Polly Baca, the first Hispanic woman in the country elected to serve both a state house and Senate, and Nathaniel Easley, former head of the Denver Scholarship Foundation. They will both join the board for four-year terms. The board chair, Nancy Tuar, has said, Nate Easley and Polly Baca are outstanding additions to a board that has a critical mission to serve all of Colorado. Um, and we have one more piece of news Um, This is some sad news, unfortunately. Uh, Larry Stewart, who was the CEO of Rocky Mountain Student Media Corporation starting in 2008, when we were founded, until 2014, has sadly passed away. He was uh, once upon a time the editor of the Collegian before the foundation of student media, and the entirety of student media wouldn't exist without him. We owe everything we do to him, and we want to thank him from the bottom of our hearts and uh, 
our love goes out to his friends and family and anyone affected by this. And that has been your campus news. My name is Maximus Hunter. Most of this was written by Brittany Liskey. And you were listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. But Ren, I have a question. What's up? What day is it today? It is the 5th of March, I believe. That is how time works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which means it's National Cheese Doodle Day, which is just so fun to say, and I challenge you to say it five times fast. National Cheese Doodle Day, National Cheese Doodle Day. National... Nope, just not <laughs> happening. Yeah, it is a challenging one, but that name isn't always what it's called. I always thought they were called Cheese Puffs. Um, cheesy Puffs. Yeah. They're also, I forget, there's probably a lot of brand names around it as well. Pirate's but... Booty. Yeah. Those were good when I was a kid. That's that what I would get. <laughs> Regardless of the name, uh, the puff cheddar treats have found a place in the hearts of million. But yeah, basically what they are is they're just puffed up cheesy goodness. Yeah. Uh, today's... That's as best anyone understands what yeah. they are. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, today is also National Absinthe Day. Ooh. Yeah, and the national calendar has this to say about the drink. It's often mistaken for a liquor, and it liqueur. is liqueur. Uh, but it is truly a spirit because it isn't sweetened. It belongs to vodkas, gins, and whiskeys uh, when categorizing absinthe. The spirit is made by infusing wormwood, fennel, anise, and other herbs into alcohol through distillation. Uh, <laughs> distillation. I feel like I said that wrong. Anyway. Yeah, you said it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, the creation of absinthe is created uh, is credited to Pierre Ordinaire, which is such a cool name, a French doctor. He developed and prescribed the elixir in the early 19th century as a cure for many illnesses. It has a strong licorice flavor, and it has a high alcohol content. The spirit is often served with ice, a sugar cube placed on a slotted spoon over the glass, and water poured over the sugar. But only after you light it on fire. Yes. I also only know this because of Moulin Rouge. But it is also known as the Green Fairy, the Green Goddess, or the Green Lady. The drink was popular with artists and writers. It was also once rumored to have hallucinogenic effects. Just as it was gaining in popularity as the century was coming to a close, its reputation took some severe blows. The Green Lady was blamed for causing madness, seizures, and low morality, among other ills of society. One of the final blows was a scandal in 1905 involving a French laborer who had spent the day drinking. His drink of choice was absinthe. Later in the day, he murdered his children and pregnant wife. Which Yikes. Is, yeah. And after that, the drink was banned in France and other countries soon followed. In the United States and around the world, the ban has since been lifted. And studies, and Max had to tell me this today, <laughs> studies have proven that there is nothing hallucinogenic about the drink. Well, not as we have it today. Yeah. Originally, sure, but it's it's really highly regulated now. But absinthe does have a higher co alcohol content than other spirits, so keep that in mind and drink responsibly. Remember to text in your absinthe-related stories, <laughs> 970-491-5278. No, please don't text us those, as funny as those might be. Uh... Actually, no, totally text with this. All I right, kind know. of <laughs> along the same lines, but not really. Uh, National Hospitalist Day celebrates those who work in hospitals, including but not limited to physicians, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, and practice administrators. On this day, more than 60,000 uh, hospitals nationwide are hospitalists nationwide are celebrated for their work. Thank you for all that you do. Today is also National Multiple personality day and the national calendar says there are two different approaches for this day the first strategy takes an inward examination for our own personalities this approach sees uh sees the day as a way to explore personality traits and examining the roots of those traits 
Each one of us shows a different side of our characters at different times and in different places. Sometimes our personalities appear to be altered depending on whom we are with and what we are doing. With these things in mind, the day focuses on our thoughts and our own personality traits. The other view of the observance aims to raise awareness for the disorder. Multiple personality disorder is also known as dissociative identity disorder or DID. It is characterized by at least two distinct and relatively enduring identities or dissociated personality states that alternatively control a person's behavior. It is accompanied by memory impairment for important information not explained by ordinary forgetfulness. While the disorder affects less than 0.1 to 1% of the population, those it does affect rely on support from the medical community, friends, and family. And that is all the national news we have today. National Thanks, Day man. News. Yeah, definitely. It's but a good day. There is a little bit more that we have to talk about before we can close out the show. I don't know if you can feel it in the air, but I can definitely feel it in the air. I mean, it's it's lovely out. Yeah, it definitely it's is lovely really out. It's really lovely. But do you know what it is? Um, is it time? Wow, it is. It's time for the weather. How about that? So weather today was the coolest of the week. With only a high of 50 degrees and a slight breeze throughout the day, I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it too. Tomorrow, the temperature is going to rise to 64, and Saturday, you're going to start off a warm weekend with the sun shining all day and the high at 67 degrees. Uh, on Saturday, the temperature should stay the same, or on Sunday, the temperature should stay the same as Saturday, but some clouds might roll in, making it colder. On Monday, the temperatures are going to actually drop to 57 degrees, and those clouds will be sticking around for another day, but... Overall, it's going to be really nice, especially compared to what we've been experiencing for the last few weeks with off and on snowstorms, wind chills, sudden, you know, emergency weather warning texts, and then you wake up the next morning and you've got half an inch of snow. But uh, no more of that. It's going to be really nice, at least for a little bit. So look forward to it. Spend some time in the outdoors. Barbecue. I don't know. Do whatever you're going to do. But uh, I'm excited. And that's it. That's our show. Yeah, that is our show. But before we close out, we do have to thank a couple of people, starting with, of course, Damien Castillo. He makes the song. And a couple of others on our show. Really, all, almost all the others. Uh, so thank you, Damien. Uh, we got to thank uh, Brittany Liskey for providing her newscast for today, as well as all of our reporters. We appreciate you all. Yeah. Uh, and our guests, Adam Baird and Bonnie Amore. Yeah, thank of you. course. We have to thank everyone at KCSU, but just to name a couple, Julia Battles, Hannah Copeland, Isaiah Reyes, Peter Walk, Monty Daniels, uh, Mia Sawaya, Hunter Sinclair, and Asher Korn. And basically just everyone, everyone, everyone here. We kind of kept a shorter list today since we are running out of time, but everyone here you know at KCSU. You are. Yeah, thank you so much. Josh, guys. happy birthday. <laughs> we could not do it without you. <laughs> All right. And I couldn't do this without you, Ren. Thank you so much. Um, you're going to be running the show on Tuesday without me, which is... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be so sad not to be here, but uh, I'm I'm stoked. I'm gonna listen. You know, yeah, should be make, awesome. You're gonna want to check in for that uh, episode as well because we're gonna be talking about the 70, 70th anniversary of the rodeo here at uh, Fort Collins, which is pretty cool. That's a long time. Oh man, I wish I could be there to tell my story about that time I got trampled. Uh, we'll but have to pre-record. We'll have to pre-record that. Sorry, <laughs> right. I, I have to thank you, Max. I'm definitely going to miss you next week. It's definitely oh. going to make my life a little harder. And we're running out of time. We've we'll got to thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Seriously, though, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you. And with that, we'll, we'll see, see you, you next time. time.